Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast from New Cross Healthcare that seeks to get to the very heart of the issues facing the health and social care sector across the UK by speaking to leaders who are challenging paradigms and seeing how we can truly enable the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahel Mirza, and Scotland is facing a tremendous challenge, some calling it the crisis the likes of which we've never seen before across the NHS and social care. I'm therefore delighted and honoured to welcome our guest today, Dr Donald McCaskill, the CEO of Scottish Care. Donald, as ever, it's a delight to see you and thank you for giving us your time today. No more than happy to do so. You've gone on record as saying that Scotland's social care sector is facing a national emergency, as well as a profound crisis. Is this a crisis that is actually perhaps a pressure point for turning for betterment or worse? I have always been very cautious about using words like crisis or emergency because you fall victim of hyperbole or accusation that you're just seeking a headline. But I don't think anybody looking at the multiplicity, the breadth and the nature of the current challenges facing the health and social care system in Scotland or indeed in the United Kingdom as a whole can do anything other than use a phrase to suggest that this is a crisis. But I've done so because partly on a semantic level, the word crisis carries with it the idea and the notion of opportunity. So if we are, as I think we are facing, real challenge at the moment, we have to use this moment not just to continue to do what we're doing, but in a slightly different way, but to radically consider a redesign of the systems of health and social care delivery, not just in Scotland, but throughout the United Kingdom. So the call for a radical change is something perhaps that is falling on everyone's lips and minds. The First Minister has set up the Resilience Committee. Are you seeing some tangible signs that it's taken its place rightfully at the top of the political agenda? I think we are. I now attend with colleagues from social care leadership weekly meetings at a senior government level in Scotland and those have been held over the last few months. I think it's unfortunate that the significant contribution of social care has not been at the centre of national planning and national resilience up until the last few months. And I am aware from colleagues in England and Wales that social care leadership has still not been as included as it needs to be. Social care has to be seen beyond the lens of the NHS and its current crisis, not least around delayed discharge and unnecessary avoidable admission. We have to get an informed political and a media community who understands social care as distinctive, as unique, as professional and as massively contributive to the whole of society, as well as contributive to some of the challenges of the NHS. It's a powerful clarion call. We've danced this dance before, of course. Um, Scottish Care represents the independent sector, 103,000 people, 88% of care home places, 55% of uh, hours on home care. It's a significant employer. Um, The question of funding, the question of pay, 15-minute visits, we're still a long way off from recognition of the true value that the sector provides? 
Absolutely, and it's to, I think, to society's shame that we have failed to learn the lessons of the significance of social care provision, which the pandemic painfully taught us. We're still retreading the same, the same headlines. We're still falling into the same traps of stereotype and scapegoating. Social care is a major contributor to British society. In Scotland, it is the fourth economic contributor. Good social care enables women and men to be economically contributive, to go out to work. It gives purpose to individuals. It enables independence. And most importantly, it enables our most valuable citizens who, because of age, infirmity or disability, require support. It enables them to have a quality of life which is their right as citizens. So we have to move to a situation where we understand not just the value of social care but we understand the challenges and for me the number one challenge in social care is encapsulated in workforce. So it is and remains I think a scandal that we treat different parts of the health and care system in such inequitable ways. In Scotland we are at the moment offering 7.5% to our healthcare professionals. We are making a 3.8% offer to social care staff who are doing the same job, but more than that, who are regulated, who are registered and who require qualification. What does that say about the relative value of working for the NHS and the relative value for working for social care, regardless of the business model of the provider, be they private, charitable or employee-owned? Absolutely. And touching the economic argument there, you've talked about the percentage increases. I'd like to address fundamentally the questions of levels of pay. Uh, social care historically has been, still is, a low pay environment. I mean, can you put that into context? How much should they be paid? And of course, we have still the incidence of the high street retailer being able to pay people more. Absolutely. So in any Scottish city, you will earn more money today for an hour's work walking a dog than you will for an hour's work in caring for some of our most valuable citizens. You will earn more money stacking a shelf with no responsibility in a supermarket. Now, I'm not demeaning or decrying the value that employers choose to give those roles, but I am calling out the hypocrisy of government who, with one word, value social care and see how important it is, epitomised by clapping during the pandemic, and yet who make decisions around financial allocation and resource allocation, which is the very opposite of that priority. So if we're serious about social care, if we're serious about preserving and saving the NHS because let be in no doubt the NHS is crumbling and is dying with a death from a thousand blows. If we're serious about the NHS and want it to move to beyond what it is at the moment, then we have to save social care and we have to prioritise social care and no longer treat it as the Cinderella service or the ugly duckling in comparison to its sister, the NHS. And the demand, of course, um, it's said that demography is destiny. There's an ageing population, an ageing working population. Um, one of the levers to support the whole system, let alone social care, of course, will be an immigration policy that fits that purpose. Absolutely. And Scotland has a unique 
challenge. We have the fastest ageing population in Europe. We have the most ageing workforce in Europe. And we know that as you get older, for many reasons, that productivity and output in an ageing workforce is less than it is uh, when you are younger. So even if everybody who left school today in Scotland decided to go into social care, we would not have enough people simply to work in social care. So when you're faced with that demographic reality, which so many politicians choose to ignore, what do you do? You do what has always been the case in a community like Scotland and in many communities of England and Wales. You attract people to come and make this place their home, to become part of our communities, to bring their insight, the richness of their own culture and innovation and to be with us as a community. Brexit in particular has been a hammer blow to the opportunity to attract women and men and to retain women and men because what the economic changes of the last few years have led since the pandemic started is that we've seen more and more women and men go into retail and hospitality and other sectors because they're better remunerated, they have less stress and that has left a powerful gap, a significant gap in nursing and care professionals in social care without an immigration policy that is flexible, that is meaningful and person-centred and in a culture which is so toxic to immigration. Combine those two things and we have a perilous situation, not just for Scottish uh, providers, but I would argue for many providers across the UK. Just turning the dial now to look at some of the solutions potentially and some of the work that Scottish Care is doing and its members, um, the narrative needs to change. I think that's what you've called for in terms of social care. And you've called the, the social care crisis quintessentially a workforce crisis. In terms of recognition of the actual sector itself, uh, the Scottish Government's launched the social care uh, employment campaign, but I'm very interested to hear more about the social care campaign that has now been running and that you've been advocating? We have seen campaigns happen in the past and the Scottish Government, as you rightly say, have just launched another workforce campaign, very similar to the previous three in the previous three years. Now, I don't think we've got evidence to show that they work, to be honest. And I'm not convinced that simply saying to somebody, this is the opportunity and the jobs that you can move into social care to, to undertake without also addressing the fundamental inequalities of pay, reward, remuneration and societal recognition will necessarily get the return on the investment on that campaign. So with providers, with our members and with colleagues, we have partly launched and there will be lobby days in the weeks and months to come, a campaign pain which is primarily about helping people understand what social care is. What is the amount of money that is given by the state to support somebody to live the quality, dignified life they deserve in a care home? And why is it half as much compared to a local authority? Why is it £2,900 on average to keep somebody in a hospital bed with no treatment and yet the state only considers it meritorious to pay £835 for 24-7 nursing care and support and fulfilling somebody's life and experience. That is an imbalance which is shocking, shameful and needs political 
change. So the campaign is partly about resources to raise understanding of what the role of the sector is, but also to get people beginning to talk about social care because there is so much narrative about the NHS and so little comment, if almost silence, about social care unless it's just headline grabbing negativity. And the campaign is being taken to all corners of Scotland and uh, aspects of society, including schools uh, and universities. Yeah, because uh, social care is too important for it to remain the preserve of politicians who, with respect to them, don't always understand what they're talking about. And if I had my way, I would make one of the mandatory requirements of elected office the requirement that you do a shift as a home carer or you do a shift uh, in a care home and understand both the challenges, but much more than that, understand why this is one of the most rewarding careers anybody could possibly enter. Where can you make such a difference to somebody? Where can you change a day to give it purpose and meaning? Where can you give comfort and address pain and fear, particularly at the end of life? Uh, there is a perversity of modernity, which is we reward those who work with things more than we reward and recognise those who work with people. Well, this is a unashamedly people industry and we who are responsible by filling leadership roles we have a responsibility to call out the lack of priority that we give to people and that's partly what this campaign's about on the theme of people there are workforce shortages and vacancies and some of the work that is required is for providers to plan well understand capacity and Scottish Care has worked with providers in terms of its Workforce Matters division. Can you expand upon that? Because there is a tremendous challenge in terms of balancing demand and the ability to provide care at the quality that everybody deserves. So Scottish Government has funded our Workforce Matters programme for a number of years now and we are delighted to have the present incumbent, Caroline, who uh, comes from a managerial and frontline background in delivering social care because that carries an authenticity which is really important. That role is both to address the challenges of existing workforce, but also to try to reconceive and envision what workforce needs to be in the future. You know, how do we get the right women and men with values and principles and human attitudes, which gives control to the person being cared for rather than the professional doing the care? How do we change the understanding of care as something which is delivered to and become confident as a sector that the person who is being supported takes control of that support. And so we continually need to re-envision workforce in a manner which makes working in care attractive, but also helps people understand that nothing stands still. We can't care today in the way in which we did 10 years ago and in 20 years' time, the way in which people require to be supported in our communities in their own home or in residential and nursing care will, of necessity, must be different. And talking of the future, we can only touch upon it briefly, but of course uh, there's been some interesting work that you've highlighted uh, in terms of harnessing the role of technology, uh, work with impact and new roles as technology assistance. Can we touch upon that? Because that does offer some hope in terms of being able to deliver to the demands of the public. Yes, because I, I, I said we can't do what we're doing now, partly because of a demographic challenge, but also because people are 
people have changed. You know, I, in 20 or 30 years' time, may very well be using and accessing care and support. I'm very different from what my mother, who lived in a care home for some time, would have wanted in her 80s. So I want more control, more autonomy. I, I want to have the ability to make decisions as long as I'm able to do so safely for as long as possible. And so technology enables us to do that. But it must be technology utilised, not as a reason to replace human presence, but as something which enables control choice for the individual. And so one of the things, because we work with the European School of Design and the Glasgow School of Art, one of the things that we have taken from a prototype design idea into practice in care homes and in the community now is the role of the care technologist. How do we equip our frontline staff to be confident in going into somebody's home to use the Internet of Things devices that might be there to, in the background, use artificial intelligence to enable somebody to be better supported for longer and be independent in a much more meaningful way. Our homes are full of devices. We don't need new technology. It's already there in many and in large part. But how do we maximise that? And one of the roles of a carer, I think increasingly, will always remain that person-centred, intimate care. But it will increasingly be to help somebody understand What's happening in their lives? Are they hydrating sufficiently? Is there an identified risk of falls? We've devices now that can trigger risk categories around the likelihood of coronary. It's a very exciting future, but it must be in the control of the person, data preserved and controlled by the individual, and our human rights basis. This is not about a world where robotics replace the human touch. It's about a world where I've got more control as somebody who uses care and support. And that involves the sector changing and being at the forefront of that. So it's, it's less a paternalistic imposition of a framework, but giving the people who use the services the opportunity to be co-creators of their plans. Absolutely. So this is, and all that we as Scottish Care have sought to do in not just the care technologist work, which is being rolled out, but all our technology and digital work, is how do you build a rights-based focus that puts the person in control, not just of the machine and, the, uh, 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 and what is happening, but of the data that they have. So uh, too often we are hearing of models and approaches which limit the control of the person. But there is a fundamental right to privacy. I do not want my story, which is my data, to be accessed or influenced by somebody else over whom I've got no control. And I, you know, I, it always fascinates me that in the modern era where so many people are concerned about who knows what about them, that we're so casual in our willingness to allow third parties and unknown entities to have access and control of our data. And, you know, the, the analytics shame of Meta Stroke Facebook teaches a lot, us a lot about how important it is that we, the citizen, the person, is at the centre of decisions about data and access around technology.
No, absolutely, and that uh, leads me to my next question because the environment in which uh, your members operate, the, uh, the NHS operates, of course, is, is a, quite rightly a regulatory environment. Um, the care inspectors, chief nurse, has gone on record uh, recently highlighting um, legislative uh, intervention back in the health and care. Uh, Scotland Staffing Act 2019 supporting the well-being of the workforce, uh, the National Healthcare Framework for Care Homes. There's a number of uh, initiatives that are designed to support uh, the the workforce. Uh, you've described the workforce as weary uh, and morally harmed. How confident are you that the inspectorate is nimble and agile enough to support the workforce itself, even while it's striving to, of course, protect those that use its services? The proof of the pudding will be in the eating because the care inspector is established essentially to uh, regulate services and there's a separate, the Scottish Social Services Council, who are responsible for the workforce. But ultimately, uh, what is good in paper and what looks attractive on a media release will only make a difference if we put resource if we work alongside frontline workers, managers and staff, and at this current moment, I think there is a tone deafness to a lot of innovation and policy introduction, which fails to recognise that this is a workforce who have been through hell. Now, not everybody here today was in the trenches during the pandemic, but many of them are still facing the consequences of overwork, of emotional distress, of moral harm, of physical exhaustion, of multiple shifts, of the obscenity of 15-minute visits, which are becoming more frequent because we don't have sufficient workers. In such an environment, the regulators and all politicians and leaders have to be very sensitive to what are we really doing to help people. I have heard too many workers say to me, I don't want another course on mindfulness. I don't want another link to a well-being app. I want something that makes a difference to me, that gives me space and place to be heard, not just heard, but to be listened to at a depth that results in change. Most of us know in social care what is needed to preserve the sector, to embolden the workforce and to make social care what it should be, a dynamically attractive sector to work in. We know all the solutions. We just need people at decision-making level politically to have the courage of their convictions and put those into practice. And that um, theme of uh, an attractive place to work as a career... I wanted to touch upon a particular cohort, and that's the social care nursing cohort. Uh, traditionally, paradigmatically, people assume nurses work in hospitals, the NHS. Uh, there are many thousands that work in social care, 5,000 if not more. Um, and there is some great work that's being done by Dr. Jane Douglas. And I wanted you to expand upon that uh, cohort and how important nursing is within social care and how important social care is as a pathway for nurses. Nursing is the jewel in the crown of social care and the fact that so many people don't understand that a significant number of our nursing colleagues work in care settings is, 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 is really embarrassing because in essence the, the origin of the health service was about enabling people to receive care and support close to home 
in their communities. And the primacy of primary community and social care were the platforms which enabled us to have a national health service. I've said and been on record as saying that what we have at the moment is a national hospital service with an an astonishing focus politically and media on the failings and the faults as well as an inability to recognise the successes and the achievements of colleagues in the acute and secondary uh, health sector. We need to flip that. We need to start investing in social care and community care and general practice and primary care because supporting people close to where they are is fundamentally important and social care nursing is a key element of that. Jane and others highlight the degree to which there is a different dynamic in a relationship in social care. Acute hospital care doesn't enable you to build a relationship with patients because the people who are there today might be there in a fortnight, but they'll not be there in a month or a a year. But social care enables you to do that. And it makes nursing more rewarding to the individual. It gives more autonomy to the individual nurse. It does demand more professionalism and skill in a multifaceted way. It demands a confidence in terms of taking initiative and making personal decisions and managing risk. It is a tremendous profession for individuals with that desire for autonomous professionalism to be involved in. But it is also one which is not sufficiently recognised, where there aren't sufficient pathways between the NHS and into social care. And sadly, it's one where people don't understand the unique distinctiveness which building a relationship with a resident over weeks, months and years can bring both to the resident and to the nurse involved. Now, one of um, Newcross's uh, missions is to democratise the advancements in treatment, particularly as they are uh, provided within a home environment or in the community. So the importance of learning and development and training our clinical professionals, nursing, carers, for that shift to community-based now makes that a hugely important part of any strategy moving forward. It's massively important. And if you go beyond the headlines of hospital to home, uh, what we really need is care at home. And that's partly clinical, but it is significantly social care. So the person who is being supported to live independently in their own home. Yes, needs clinical intervention on occasion, may need personal care and support on occasion, but it is the social dimension of social care that we must never lose sight of. And that's not about a chat. It's not about just making a cup of tea. It's not just about knowing the person. It's what comes from the dynamic of hospitality, of listening to what somebody is saying, of recognising that they may not actually be saying what is troubling them, but you know them sufficiently well that you recognise that they're avoiding a particular issue. That comes from relational-based, social care-focused, combined clinical and pastoral care for an individual. And that's what home care is at its best and what can never be achieved in an acute or a secondary care setting. We're going through transformational times and uh, we hope that uh, the message you're giving will be heard by those that can make that difference. For now, I'd like to thank you, uh, Dr Donald McCaskill, for your time, uh, your wisdom and uh, your compassion. 
been a pleasure. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to know more about how we are truly transforming and enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahail Mirza. Goodbye and thank you.